Welcome to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. What are you hungry for? Today is Easter. Actually, this whole week is Easter. Actually, the entirety of the next 50 days is Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, and there's a lot to celebrate and discuss. Our reading today comes from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that a satisfactory ending? Is that what you're used to hearing? Is that what you want to hear? Don't you long for something else? Isn't there a different story that you'd rather hear, that you'd rather tell? What we just heard is what scholars believe to be the original ending to the Gospel of Mark. The women go to the tomb. They see that the stone has been rolled away. They're terrified, confused, heartbroken, still mourning the loss of their friend, their teacher, and now facing the possibility of theft or vandalism of the tomb where he laid. Inside the tomb, they find a stranger who tells them that their dear one, this Jesus, is risen and will meet them in Galilee. The stranger tells them to share this good news with Peter and the other disciples and to go to Galilee. We know this story. It's exciting. It's our Easter joy. We hear trumpets and hallelujahs. We're ready to rush to Galilee with the disciples to meet the Lord. But instead, we read that the women ran from the tomb. They fled in terror. And in their great fear, they said nothing, not a word, nothing to anyone. No songs, no rejoicing, no shouts of he is risen, no dancing on the way to Galilee, nothing. Their fear kept them from speaking, kept them from speaking this word of life. They ran away confused, scared, scarred. What a terribly disappointing end to a truly fantastic story. If this were a movie, we might yell at the screen, curse the director, throw some popcorn. We know that in the gospel, fear has no business getting the last word. This just isn't right. But as a piece of literature, this is where the gospel of Mark triumphs. It expects, it intends to elicit that response from us. 
we already hear that no one said anything to anyone and think, no, that's not right. They have to tell everyone. Tell everyone this amazing news. Tell the other disciples. Tell everyone in Galilee. Shout it in the streets on the way. Tell everyone everywhere what happened here. He's not dead. He's been raised. Tell everyone. And then we shrink a little in our seats. We drop our heads. We hide our faces when we realize that maybe we haven't been doing the best job telling everyone ourselves. Maybe we identify more with those disciples in the story, letting fear prevail and silence rule the day. Well, that same realization hit some of the first communities that heard Mark's gospel, and they tagged it with a better ending. Just so there be no confusion, we get the more familiar material. Jesus appears to his disciples, reveals himself as risen. They believe, rejoice, and share that news with others, beginning the work of the church. Does the fact that this ending was probably added later make it less reliable? No, of course not. Obviously, someone told someone else that Jesus was risen or else we wouldn't have the Gospels. I mean, it doesn't make good sense to affirm that the women told no one of what they saw at the tomb because otherwise, how could we possibly have an account of what they saw at the tomb? They told someone. This addition to the Gospel of Mark isn't a whitewashing, a sort of covering up of the truth. It's the fullness of truth. It is the assurance of the gospel that life and love and never death nor fear win the day. It's the reshaping of the narrative to accord to God's story. There's no need to fear anything because the Lord of life has conquered all. And ultimately, there is only this one story. It's the story repeated throughout the biblical narrative. It's the one story of Psalm 23 and Mark 6 and John 3, Luke 2, Matthew 20. Throughout human history, there is only one story, and that story is the life of Christ exhibiting the love of God for us. That story is the absolute sovereignty of God's grace, the superabundant love of God, which, moved only by gentle compassion, provides for us, cares for us, and nurtures us. That's the story. All of the healing miracles, the feeding miracles, the parables, the psalms, all of that is the repetition of one story. God is love, and nothing can come between us and the love of God. That's a pretty good story, and it's a story that is made even better by the fact that, unlike other stories, this one is really real. It's really real, and it's the story in which we all are characters. It's the continuing, everlasting story of hope, faith, and love. It's the story that deserves to shape all that we do and all that we are as we live out the continued ministry of Christ, as we join in the one eternal narrative. But of course, this world is plagued by many competing stories, stories about scarcity and fear and humiliation and violence, stories about nationalism and white supremacy and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and all of the other stories that try to convince us that people who differ from us are some sort of threat to who we are. And those stories are loud. 
Folks make whole professions out of telling those stories, and those stories capture our attention because they prey on our most basic instincts, an animal instinct that seeks survival through dominance and lives in constant fear of scarcity and enemies even when they don't exist. But that's not our story. That's not the Christian story, not the story we're called to live into. You see, we have a unique privilege in that even when we cannot order the events of the world, we can shape its narrative. I'm going to say that again. Even when we cannot order the events of this world, we can shape its narrative. As Christians, we're called to tell the gospel story, to live the gospel story, to exhibit the gospel story so that it's the overarching narrative of all that we do and all that we say, a story about a God who loves us and dwells among us, a story about a God who conquers fear, who destroys death, whose love for us is so powerful that nothing on this earth can separate us from it. And not just words, empty promises or well wishes, but words which frame our existence, words which bring us new life in Christ, words which compel us to live that life, words which urge us to not just speak of life, hope, comfort, and peace, but to be life, hope, comfort, and peace, to act for life, hope, comfort, and peace within this world, proclaiming the gospel narrative by living the life of the story where death, confusion, despair, and terror never have the last word, but love, life, and joy always triumph. God's stories are about love, life, and joy because those things are true. Those are the things that are really real in this world. God gave Jesus to this world, to us, to take on sin, despair, and even death, even hell itself, even this absolute pit of ultimate suffering, of darkest torment. We say it every week. He descended into hell. Jesus took all of those awful things onto himself to conquer them, that we might live and live abundantly, flourishing in the perfect love of God. That's real. That's today. That's Easter. And our thanks to God, our perfect praise is not to squander that gift, but to live into the fullness of the new life offered to us by the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's our story. That's our lives. That's the narrative in which we find ourselves. That's the story. That's the real story here. That's the story we're called to choose. It's the story we're called to tell. It's the story we're called to take from this place. It's the story we're called to live into the world because it's God's story. It's the ultimate truth. It's the story of love. It's the story of life. It's the story of the gospel. Like we heard in Mark's account, it's a story where death, confusion, despair, and terror never have the last word but where love, life, and joy always triumph. Don't ever stop telling that story. Don't ever stop being that story. Living in faith, acting in faith, proclaiming in faith all that God promises us. The Father loves us. Through Jesus Christ, God offers us a new life in that love. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing in this world can ever separate us from that love. Nothing in this world can ever separate us from that love 
Nothing. Nothing. Don't you ever, ever forget that. <laughs>